Hello, and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'd like to thank all our supporters on patreon.com slash the Vorthos Cast who make this show possible every week. I'm Andrew Weissel, and I am not Ashley Barrow. I'm Brian Dawes, and I am not Jay and Ellie. Once again, we are on the East Coast, stricken by a hurricane. What's this one's name again? Michael? Yeah, Michael. Michael. Very bland hurricane name. But because of that, Jay is off doing his emergency management thing, and Ashley is currently without power. She's fine. She's not, like, in the hurricane's path, but the wind and the rain is kind of on the fringes around where she is, so she has no power and thus can't record a podcast. So it's just going to be me and Brian today. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's not our fault. I'm not apologizing. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that they have to hear more of me. That's what I'm apologizing for. Don't kid yourself. You're great, Brian. So it's kind of a shame that they're all not here because we have a ton of news to talk about this week. We got a big primer article from Blake on the Mothership on Tuesday called What to Expect with Magic Story. There's just kind of an overview of where Magic Story is at now and where it's going over the next couple months and got a little bit of more information on some of their plans just to kind of set expectations for Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance. The first main point, which by now we found out anyway because the story did start, is that Nikki Drayden's stories for Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance aren't going to be focusing on the capitalized, quote-unquote, big plot. So, Bolus's machinations on Ravnica. That stuff isn't going to happen yet. Instead, we're going to get five stories for Guilds of Ravnica and five stories for Ravnica Allegiance, each one as a little slice-of-life story about regular people living in the guild, which is kind of awesome because we haven't had these kinds of stories in... Not since Amaket, right? Because the one when Bolas came and all the stuff was happening, I forgot what the name of the story is, Hour of Revelation. Instead of focusing on the Gatewatch, they focused around all the people on the plane who were trying to fight for their lives to survive. That first one, I think, still had a lot of Samut and Jeru in it. But there was one once the Scorpion God and whatnot awoke. Because that was the one where the, the one woman picked up one of Oketra's arrows, and hurl it at Bolas, yeah, and Bolas was one. like, oh, in another age, you would have made a great champion, but now I'm just gonna kill you. And then he does, is very gruesome. Yeah, when the Eternals woke up. Yeah, that That's one. when they, like, slaughtered everybody. It was really depressing. But even then, that was just, like, a little one-shot within the story. I think it's really been since Theros, since we've gotten these kind of offhand slice-of-life stories. Consplock had a bunch but i think most of the characters were still legends in the set yeah these stories aren't even going to involve legends they're just little small interesting world building episodes which i frankly like a lot these are a kind of story i loved during the theros block there were a lot of these for return to ravnica block each guild also there got a small set like the simic one was about the scientist who blended himself with an ooze and became experiment one Massacre Girl is the really popular one, I think, from that era. That was the Rakdos story. People are still asking for a card for her. It's interesting. I like it. I've written a lot of fan fiction in this kind of vein because Magic Story stopped making these kinds of stories, so I started writing my own. 
part of me is really glad to see that back. Part of me, though, is worried because the Dominaria story ended on May 30th this year. If it doesn't start up until the third Ravnica set, then we're not going to get any continuation until late March, early April next year. Going to be almost a full year without any progress in the main story, which is yikes. Agreed. Any Wizards of the Coast people listening right now, that is yikes. That is a big problem to have your story right before the finale just drop off the face of the earth for almost a year. That cannot happen. You are going to lose so many readers and make it so frustrating for people who thought they were going to keep getting story between now and then. There's got to be a better way to blend and have these two types of stories happening at the same time. Alternating weeks or something, but I agree completely. It's really frustrating is what it is. Yes, we're getting good stories and we're going to get interesting stories. We're going to talk about this week's story later in the episode. It was a really good story. It was so well written. It was very exciting. But it's leaving the Ravnica story hanging for at least another six months. I think a lot of the decisions recently, there's some good things and then lots of worrying, confusing decisions that are going along with them. And this is another one of those cases. So then the next part of the article was talking about how we are entering a period of exploration for Magic Story. So what they mentioned is that Magic Story is going to be exploring medium, tone, characters, planes, anything that they can iterate and vary. They're going to be exploring and experimenting with to kind of meet audience demand. A big part of that was that they're going to be publishing stories that don't have anything to do with the card sets, which is interesting. I think we got our first real taste of this with the Vivian Reed stories a couple weeks ago by Cassandra Kaw. While Vivian, yes, did appear in Core 2019, her character didn't have anything to do with that set, really. And that set story was all about Ugin and Nicobolas. So she got her little three-part vignette. Obviously, people are going to want Kamigawa stories and Lorwyn stories. Because those are like the two planes that really hardcore Vorthoses won't shut up about. Again, if you want to be able to feed that fan desire for the stories on those worlds, hiring professional authors to write those stories and just releasing them as web fiction is a perfectly fine way to do that. But if you're not supporting the main story the sets at the same time, then you're kind of missing out on the point of the story. Like, I don't know, there's just so much moving around. But I'm very excited at the prospect of being able to get whatever exciting stories that people want to write. A small piece of new information. We knew Greg Weissman was going to be writing these two novels next year. The first one announced already, the Ravnica novel. Although I think this article kind of hinted that the second novel also is part of the completion of the story, which is very confusing, because I just want it to be freaking done already. I'm so tired of Bolas. Me too. Blake also mentioned that Greg Wiseman is writing the web fiction for the mysterious third Ravnica set. And it's not clear, but I think the implication is that Greg will be writing a web fiction version of the conclusion of the story. So that would include the setup with Ral and Vraska and Domri and Kaya and Geometry Wizard. And then the actual stuff that happens in the novels 
it sounds like there will be a kind of free version that will exist in the web fiction just to kind of get people done with the story for free. And then if you want the big fancy version, you can buy the novel. It's not clear yet. I'm sure we'll learn more about it when we get closer to it. I'm not super worried about it right now because that's not going to happen till late March or early April next year. And it's only October, so that's a far ways away. That's an interesting approach. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. It's great if that's what they're doing and they're getting a free version of the huge Bolas arc finale out for free so that you don't have to pay to finish the story that you might have been following for four years. But also, doesn't that just undercut the novel sales that they're trying to also do at the same time? Yeah, it probably does, but I think they're just trying to make sure that they don't completely cut off any goodwill that they've had with the people who've been following their story. Since they've started doing it this way, I don't agree that this is the way I would go about doing it, but I guess I kind of understand what they're doing. If it's this conclusion of the story in the web fiction, then, like, that's exactly what we want. But, like Ugin, I kind of take broad perspectives on things, and I do my best to try and see decisions the way that people inside Wizards might be looking at things, both at the storytellers and the business side of stuff. This is just confusing from a different angle, because it seems like the thing they're trying to do to maybe help support the community is now hurting the business goal? The novels have failed so many times before, and this just seems like it's something that might undercut it again. It almost makes you want to give up trying to figure out what the heck is going on inside Wizards of the Coast. I don't understand why they would have conflicting things. And to be fair, the fact that it might be the free conclusion to the story is speculation right now that's not totally confirmed i think it's implied by what is read in the article and we'll find out more later right now it sounds like they're building something up that is going to be competing with themselves except one of the things is trying to make money i'm just ugh. in fairness they've kind of painted themselves into a corner with this the way they've been doing things for a long time look at magic online look at arena they're in this weird place where they have to do things a certain way to please a whole bunch of different people, and it's not always the most obvious way to do things. They're just trying to please too many people, I guess. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and this gets back to a thing we mentioned when the novel was announced. I don't know why they're putting out a novel at the end of an arc. Yeah. You want to experiment and do exciting things with all sorts of media and tones and authors and stuff. If you wait till after this arc is done, there is an adaptive radiation of villains and stories you can tell. And if you want to push some of those in the comic, like the Chandra comic is going to do, great. You want to push them in the web fiction, great. You want to push one in another direction with a novel, great. You can do all kinds of things after this arc is complete. So it feels weird to be starting it now. It is what it is. And we'll see how it goes. I can't impact any of these decisions. All I can do is give feedback about what I think about them and then read the stories when they come out. I really hope it does well. I hope it meets all the goals that they set for it and that we continue to get good content going forward. But I just hope that if this does happen to go not as well as they would like for it to, that it doesn't stop them from continuing to give us the worthless content that we want. We'll just have to see how it goes. At the end of the day, I just want Magic Borthos content to succeed, because I want more of it. 
it feels like we're in kind of a wild west situation of magic story where this new regime is just going to try out a bunch of stuff and that's pretty consistent with the castle and boats metaphor that chris cox talked about you know magic and D are castles and we're going to launch a bunch of boats from each of them and some of the boats will sink and some of them will reach new territory i think this is magic story really getting to that point you know i just hope all those boats get there the article also mentioned that the chandra comic is out soon that's written by Vita Ayala and illustrated by Harvey Tolobao, set after this whole Ravnica stuff, which, again, doesn't make sense. I'm very excited to read it. I'm glad they went back to IDW, someone who at least has familiarity publishing Magic Comics, and that'll start soon, so get excited for that. Chandra's one of my favorite Planeswalkers, personally, so I'm always glad to see her get more story. There's one little piece of news. If you follow us on Twitter, you may have seen us mention already. Are you talking about that day of smelly guy? Yeah, the smelly guy. He's supposed to be doing something? Yeah. So Jay, the new continuity consultant for Wizards of the Coast. So I look forward to seeing the fruits of his labor in our story going forward. Hopefully this reduces the chances that Jay has ten toes now, but we'll see. We should be very, very clear. Jay is not a wizard's employee. He is not moving to Seattle. He does not have control over what gets written in the story. He is not creating magic stories. He is not writing magic stories. He does not control which planes we're going to next. He is a freelance contractor. Basically, he's just working as a continuity editor to just read over future magic stories and make sure we don't get stuff like random liches showing up in Dominaria. (laughs) And like the timeline thing in Dominaria, stuff like that will be something that Jay will catch in future stories. That's awesome. That's awesome for Jay. If you've been following Jay's Forthos career for a couple years now, you know, he's been one of the big forces behind cataloging a lot of information. He, Carrie, and I worked on the timeline, but that timeline was really Jay's project. And Carrie and I helped with the Raven Man stuff, but that, that was mostly Jay's project. He's been doing the Archive Trap series on MTG Salvation, where he's just gone through and cataloged all these story things from all these past sets. They couldn't have picked a more perfect person to do this kind of work for them. So, very happy for Jay. Very excited for him. I think it's so funny that he can't be on this episode. Just the way things worked out, and so we have to hype him for him. I guess it's better for him so he doesn't have to toot his own horn, so that works out. That's more of my thing. It's funny that half the podcast is now under NDA in some form or another, so... So Ashley and I need to step our game up, so this is going to be the shill cast instead of the Vorthos cast. We're uh, going to roll in all that shill money. We do not actually get shill money. Then on Weekly MTG last week, there wasn't a whole lot of news, but Blake and Steve did interview both Cassandra Caw and Nikki Drayden. Cassandra wrote the Vivian Reed story, and then Nikki is writing the 10 Guild Slice of Life stories for Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance. And they didn't really reveal anything new, but they're both awesome people, and the interviews were really fun. Definitely worth a watch. Yeah, we're obviously going to link it, and definitely go check that out. The one new real thing that they revealed on Weekly MTG 
is that the five stories for Guilds of Ravnica are going to have a week off. We're going to go through the first three. So that was last week and then two more. Because this year, Halloween falls on a Wednesday. On October 31st, we are not going to have a Guilds of Ravnica story. Blake teased that there's going to be some other stuff going on. So I'm expecting us to get some kind of spooky Halloween-y themed Vorthos stuff. Spooky scary skeletons. If they are planning on doing these little stories that don't have anything to do with card sets, syncing up with Halloween to do maybe like a throwback Innistrad thing, that would be awesome. Yes, I want them to go back to Innistrad just so we can see Soren still on the rock in the background of the story. It can be just some random peasant walking by the house be like, Hey, there's a guy on the rock. He's just yelling at me to come over and like, want to throw a rock at his head and run away. They can make it a whole series of vignettes where Soren is stuck in the rock and it's just like stuff happening around him. You know what, actually? Adventure Time did a whole episode like that. <laughs> there was an episode where Jake, the dog, who shapeshifts, if you've never seen the show, decided that he wanted to shapeshift into a little brick and be part of this old, rundown brick building that was about to fall down. The whole episode is just him sitting in the wall of this little stonework ruin and all this dramatic stuff happening right around him. That would be kind of a funny thing to riff on with Sword in, in the Rock. That would be awesome. I don't think that's what it's going to be. As fun as that would be. Expect something on Halloween, everyone. Don't forget, if you didn't catch the Broken Pack that would have been on Saturday, you can definitely go watch it on demand because I'm sure it'll be a great show. Looking forward to recording this on Thursdays. Yeah, we're <laughs> once again uh, in the awkward spot where... You're going to be listening to this on Monday, and stuff on the weekend is going to already have happened. So, Ruben Brustler's DMing that with the new Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica D&D book before any of us have access to it. And Ashlyn Rose will be on the show amongst others, and it should be a good watch. Congratulations, Ruben, and I'm sure the show is great. And that brings us to this week's magic story, Under the Cover of Fog. Our first in five little vignettes looking at daily life on Ravnica. Each one aligned with the guild. And this one starts with House Demir. The story follows Merit, who is a Demir spy working undercover as a dock worker, tracking weapon shipments. He is sloppy and not a great mage and comes from a family of great spies, but is himself not a great spy. So the Demir have this little spy bug flying around watching him the whole time. And I find that dynamic super interesting. You don't really think of the Demir as family people. You think of them as roguish assassins doing crazy stuff under the cover of night. But this guy was raised to be a Demir spy in a long line of them. And it's not something that I don't think many people ever gave much thought to. This kind of story is Definitely something that a lot of Vorthoses may not have given a lot of thought to in the past, but this is very welcome, and I, I, I like this direction. Yeah, and we don't get a lot of stories about people who are not great at the things they do. That's true. When you play a game of Magic, you're like, ha, oh, I have this Demir spy, he's gonna do awesome spy stuff. But now we have the story about Merit, who does, like, not awesome spy stuff. He's supposed to be checking these crates for weapons, and he 
cracks one open and sees a super expensive bottle of whiskey and is like, man, I could steal this and make a ton of money. And then the spy bug gets mad at him, so he puts it back. And then he gets yelled at by his crappy minotaur boss named Grimbly Wothis. This name. That guy's hilarious. Yeah, and it's just, it's like the beginning of Office Space. It's just such a great little look at daily life. I just feel for Merritt so much. He's just doing the best he can at his job, at his fake job, and still gets yelled at by his boss and hates his work. So he goes home. He lives in a neighborhood called Keyhole Village, which is a great name for a fantasy apartment complex, where he lives with his wife, Tashi, who is making a healing balm thing, and then she gets described with a green dress with gold patterns on it, so it sounds like she's a Selesnia healer. And then he's got two kids, Sochi, who is his oldest daughter, and then a baby son. Is it Sochi or Sachi? So someone had asked Nikki Drayden about how the name was pronounced, because it's spelled S-O-C-H-E. With Ravnica being kind of a Eastern European world, I thought it was more like Sasha, just kind of a spelling like that. But then Nikki described it online as S-A-W-C-H-E-E. But then she also noted that she has a little bit of a Texan accent, so Sochi. So I think it's supposed to be like Sochi or Sochi. I don't know, fantasy names are weird. You think of the Demir as these dark er, we're gonna go be spies, loners kind of people, but... Merritt is like a family guy. He's doing spy work to try and support his family, and they're poor. He's like a working-class spy. With possible multiple guild families. Which is something we saw with Gerard. He was technically married to a Celestian for a while, and then they split. So it does happen, but it's again something that we don't think a whole lot of as we're playing the game, but it actually does happen. I think someone asked us this question recently. Maybe it was on the Discord. I don't remember. But yes, guild members can intermarry. They're not all at each other's throats because magic is a game of combat. This is a thing these stories can do. They show us the daily lives of the world, not just the combat-oriented lives of the world. So Merrick goes home, and they're kind of poor, and they don't have a lot of food. So he goes and tries to steal some bread. He talks about how it's easy to steal from their local rundown markets, but now he's like at a fancy market, and he's being followed around by this guard because he's intimidating in their neck of the woods because he has scars all down his face. But in this fancy market, he just looks like a criminal, so they're just following him around, so he never gets an opportunity to steal stuff. But then when he leaves the market, he looks up on a balcony in these really nice apartments. And who is there? Big Boss Grimbly, his Minotaur Overseer. Oh, Grimly. Living it up in the highfalutin areas of town. He left his house with his investor that he's still hobnobbing with all around the town. Merritt decides to go up to the house, but he's adept enough not to go through the front door. He gets in through a window and is going through old Grimbly's house thinking there's no way this guy has anybody else living with him because he's such a bore, right? No, he's a cow. (sighs) Why are you like this? (laughs) (laughs) So while he's going through the kitchen, but he picks up an elixir and is about to steal some bread that's perfect. He sees Mrs. Walthus come into the kitchen She's still kind of groggy from being asleep, so he's able to 
imbibe some of this potion, which happens to be uh, an elixir of focus. And he's able to perform magics that he's been taught, but never been able to fully get the full measure of the magic because he's just never been focused enough to do it. So he's able to become invisible to her and then sneak out of the house. Gets home and gives the bread and stuff to his wife. Goes back to work and uses this newfound potency of magic to get back at a co-worker who had been giving him a lot of grief in the past. Unfortunately, he still isn't folk enough to notice that his boss is going to be in the area, and while he's exacting his revenge, he causes his boss to have to push the investor that he'd been schmoozing with this entire time into a river to escape a heavy object falling from the crane that his nemesis was operating. So he dashes home and tells his wife to hide with the kids underneath the sink, and old Grimbly Wolthus shows up. So Grimbly shows up and is like super angry and is like, I would say you owe me a bunch of money, but I know you don't have a bunch of money. You ruined my deal with my investor. You ruined a bunch of my crates because it's the crate of the whiskey that comes crashing down. So Merritt is like, I'll do anything. Grimbly is like, well, then I'm going to take your kid because he saw the kid through the window earlier laugh and all the candles in the apartment flared up. His kid also looks a lot healthier now. Earlier in the story, when Merritt was drinking that elixir, he spilled a whole bunch of it on himself and on his coat, and it seeped into the bread. His little baby son also is under the influence of this elixir of focus, and apparently has all these really powerful magical abilities. Grimbly and Merritt start fighting. Grimbly, like, kicks his wife into the cabinets. It's really brutal. It was kind of hard to read because it was pretty domestically violent. Like, it got real real. Yeah, I was worried that she had died because, like, head injuries are nothing to sneeze at. That was scary. Really sells how awful Grimbley is. So he's about to leave the apartment and is having trouble because his horns are in the way of the doorframe. And he's carrying the little baby and the baby's, like, freaking out. And then, poof, he disappears. Baby's just gone. Nobody knows where he went. And then a couple moments later, pow, he pops back up on the floor, eating a weird sour fruit that Merritt's never even seen before. Clearly he planeswalked. We'll talk about this later. I don't think he planeswalked. The important part is the kid is showing ridiculous magical powers. Think Jack-Jack from The Incredibles. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then this is where the story really turns. Because the kid pops back, and then everyone notices that there's this guy sitting over in the corner. Sitting in their old little chair. Little hooded guy. Holy crap, it's Lazav. The guild leader of the entire House Demir. And he stands up, and he's like, come on, settle down. We don't need to fight. And he starts working his mind magic. Then Grimly just agrees, because clearly he's in his head. And he's like, look. This kid is something special. Got all kinds of magical potential. I want to take care of this kid. Grimbly, you suck. Gonna erase your memory. Make you seem nice. He also agrees to pay off all of Merritt's debts, including those of which are owed to Grimbly. And says he's gonna support Merritt's entire family and make sure that they're all financially taken care of. So Lazav says, look, you can raise your kid. You can live with your family here. The guild will financially support you, but I want to make sure this kid grows up to be the best 
dang demure spy this world has ever seen. Lazav shows up and basically takes over the entire situation. There's a description where everything feels like gravity is super intense and is foggy and topsy-turvy. And then all of a sudden, like, everybody is back to normal. Grimbley leaves the house peacefully and quietly. And then Merritt's good old Aunt B is sitting in the corner bouncing the kid on her lap. And everyone's like, oh, it's so great. Isn't it great that Aunt B is here, staying with us, raising our son? Isn't life great? <laughs> shapeshifters of the Demir raising the child. So cool. Creepy and scary and isn't actually out of nowhere because don't forget that Demir Spybug saw everything the whole time. Lassav was always watching. I loved how the story starts with Merritt being bad at his thing and getting himself into more trouble. And in the worst trouble he gets... The more power the Demir magic around him has. The story starts with him working this job and this tiny little spy bug next to him. But the story ends with Lazav being in this powerful position over Merit's son. And Merit being like the little person next to him. The whole power dynamic of the way he relates to the guild swaps. In like a really horrifying fashion... Lazav just shows up to this guy's house and says, I'm going to take your kid one day. That's Rumpelstiltskin level scheming. <laughs> but that's the Demir. But also the daily life of just this rando Demir guy. And I really appreciated that in this story. And you know, to me, it shows a very different mindset than what I would have expected from Zedek. Because I feel like Zedek would have just killed everybody in that room and then taken the baby that way. Zadok was the kind of guy who manipulated Savra, and then you know, when it got down to it, he just, like, snapped her neck because he didn't need her anymore. What a jerk-faced thing to do. But Lazav is just, like, that much more villainous and that much more horrifying because he's so sneaky and manipulative, I think. There's subtlety to it. It's not just brute-forcing everything. And see, this is why I'm so fascinated that the Demir are going to be on Ravnica's side of the conflict. They are not at all the good guys. Lazav is terrible. But they need him. He's awful, but for the right people this time. It's like at the beginning of The Dark Knight, right? When Officer Gordon sends the dogs after Bruce Wayne, or after Batman, because it's like, he's not the hero that we need right now. Lazav seemed like he would be a great foil to Bolas, even though he's not on that level. He's not nothing. Yeah, he's definitely not nothing. And I feel like he's a good way to safeguard the channels that Bolas might attack, and the other guilds might not have a good way to defend against otherwise. You have Lazav on your side, you have the whole information network that the Demir run, which can get around Bolas's machinations and conquest of the plane, moving in secret. Ravnica is just one of the best planes Magic has ever made. There's just so many interesting things going on. One of the things that Nikki Drayden talked about in her interview in Weekly MTG was that every guild has their good stuff and their bad stuff. And then when you have 10 guilds, you have 10 different sets of good traits in your world and 10 different sets of bad traits in your world. And they can all intermingle in tons of interesting ways. The storytelling combinatorics of Ravnica are so deep and so fascinating to me. 
this story and what's been hinted at the greater Ravnica story for this year is just a perfect example of that. If Nikki continues to knock it out of the park with the rest of the guilds like she did with this one, I'm going to be... Like, I've never been the super Ravnica fanboy. Dominaria will always be my home. But these kind of stories are a great way to build up the story of a world in a way where no other world except for Dominaria has the amount of depth that these kind of stories can bring to it. And I'm really impressed with what she's done here. And I look forward to seeing the rest of the work she's done. Oh, absolutely. And like, that's something that was said a lot when Dominaria came out. The reason Dominaria has such a deep lore is because so many dang sets were set there. Any plane that is going to have 30 sets take place there is going to have that much story content. This is the third time we've returned to Ravnica, which means after Dominaria, this is the plane we've been to the most. We're going to be here for a full year again. So Ravnica's really getting to that point where it just has so much stuff in it, lore-wise and story-wise, and in terms of world-building. The branding of the guilds on top of that makes it easier for players to engage with it as a world. It's no surprise, I think, that this was chosen as the location for the ending of this Bolas arc. You want to put that fight onto your best plane, Ravnica is their best plane. Nikki did hint at the Izzet story. It's going to involve the guild mage having to go into the sewers, which, don't forget, the Izzet built them as well. Go into the sewers and clean out a huge repository of fat that's built up. We're getting a sewer worker story about the Izzet. Like, that's awesome! We're just getting the regular city people in a city doing their magical city things. It's going to be so fun. I'm very excited for the next four stories and then the five after that for our the next block. But we do have to discuss before we end this episode. Check, check. Is this baby a planeswalker? I vote no for a couple different reasons. One... Planeswalkers are Magic's big, franchisable, marketable characters. They're not going to just, like, introduce a rando baby Planeswalker in some rando story. Kaminatu! She's eight and got introduced in a whole Commander deck and had a whole article just about her and has a Planeswalker character page. This baby doesn't even have a name. I'm on the opposite side of this argument because, personally, it would be amazing if this was a seed that's planting for a planeswalker five years down the road when they come back to Ravnica again. This baby would have been raised under the guise of Zedek. You mean the guise of Lazav? You said Zedek. And you know what's funny? Everyone on this podcast has been confusing Lazav and Zadok. All you listeners don't hear most of the mistakes we make on this show. But I have had to edit and go back and had people re-say lines because we keep mixing up Lazav and Zadok, and I don't know why. I don't know why it's these two, but I think that's really funny that we keep making that mistake. I still think it would be really cool if his baby ended up being the next sweet planeswalker. It'll be the blue black planeswalker from the next Ravnica set, and it'll be awesome, and he'll be going getting fruit in the same plane every time. That goes into my second part of why he's not a planeswalker. It was a huge thing when Huatli was leaving Ixalan that she couldn't take the tamales with her, that they dissolved in the Blind Eternities. You're right. 
if this baby was a planeswalker, it wouldn't have been able to bring fruit back. Unless it's a continuity error, but I can't speculate on things being continuity errors. That's fair. Yeah, you're probably right. I completely forgot about that. Oh, gosh. Merritt does have a comment that he's never seen this fruit before, and people are like, oh, it's from off-plane! But it's not like Merritt is some kind of elite fructomancer who knows every kind of fruit on Ravnica. Probably hasn't ventured too far from where he's grown up. I think it might have been the Secretist or Agents of Artifice where Jace mentions that a lot of these people might not have ever left the district that they were raised in, and it's possibly plausible. That's real cities. I mean, there's people living in Brooklyn that have just been in Brooklyn. That's just where their family's been. My Italian grandparents have lived on Long Island. They've lived in the same damn house since the 50s. The Italian side of my family got off the boat in the late 1800s, hopped on Long Island, and they haven't left. Like any other city, Ravnica probably has a lot of people like that. Merritt might be one of them. He doesn't need to be a planeswalker for the story to make sense. If he's a planeswalker, we have to then accept the fruit as a continuity error and accept that a baby can actually spark. We can get into debate over child psychology on whether or not a baby can actually understand that situation. But, like you said, Brian, I will concede, because technically this is a slice-of-life story, and I think it's assumed to be modern Ravnica when all this other stuff is happening, but... That's not confirmed. If one day someone is creating a new planeswalker and looks back at the story and says, what if that baby was a planeswalker? What if that could have been the origin story of this new character we're making? And they want to look back at the story and say, yeah, okay, this story isn't specifically set anywhere in time, just sometime after Zadok is dead. Before whatever's about to happen. I will concede that there are a lot of planeswalkery things that happen in this moment that you could fudge to be a planeswalker set up in the future. And who's to say that this might not have been an actual planeswalk, but it could be the showing that this baby has immense magical aptitude and this could lead to an actual planeswalk in the future once they mature old enough. Who's to say? Because it's a demure kid. I have seen some people say like, oh my god, what if this is Ashiok's story? No. If somewhere down the road, Wizards makes a new Planeswalker or wants to establish the backstory of an existing Planeswalker and looks at the story and says, yeah, okay, this will be a Planeswalking baby moment. I won't like it, but it's not a decision for me to make. Oh, unless in this hypothetical future, if I am on the creative team, I will actually probably stomp out any ideas like this anyway. So never mind. If this was supposed to be the plant of that, that's a whole nother set of issues because you're talking about timelines because this is after the Deca Millennial. We don't know how old Ashiok is. We assume that they would be on the same time as Gideon, so they would have to be, unless they have some kind of demonic pact or something, we would assume that they wouldn't age. We don't even know what they are, so who knows? Welcome, folks, to the world of baseless Vorthos speculation. Oh, God. At this point, I think we're about ready for final thoughts. Let's just stop talking about this baby and be done with this. So, Brian, what are your final thoughts for today? My final thoughts is that that last conversation just melted my brain. Thanks, Ashiok. That's appropriate, because it's Ashiok, and before that it was Lazav, so... Very apropos. You're in the right colors to get your brain melted. My final thought is that... 
last week. As much of a Vorthos for Ravnica I am, and for as important as that story is, I got my copy of And Peace Shall Sleep, one of the early Harper Prism novels published in 1996 that follows a character around on Sarpedium and talks about the fall of the empires. I'm very excited to read it because, obviously, my brand. I love Sarpedia. And it's not relevant to anything going on in Magic right now. In fact, I'm months and months too late to read it before Dominaria. Picked up a used copy. It smells nice and old. I haven't read a physical book in a while, so this will be interesting. Obviously, I will report with anything super interesting I will find. The one thing I know that the book has is that it's the source for the fact that Thelen of Havenwood, the elf that created the Thalids, made them by borrowing some magical technology from the Order of the Ebon Hand and Endric Sar, who made the Thralls. So if you are ever wondering why Thelen of Havenwood's card in Time Spiral has a black-green activation cost and why there was Deathspore Thalid, a black Thalid in that set, and why Thalids are partially black in the Dominaria set, that's because their origins are similar to the Thralls, magically speaking. If you too would like to be a Thrall, you can support us on Patreon. You won't actually be a Thrall. That's not a real magical thing. You will just be a regular human with your own volition, but you will be very nice and supportive of our show. So you can visit patreon.com slash thevorthoscast, donate there. If you do, you will get access to our Discord community, where we have Vorthoses from around the world discussing the new cards, the new sets, our exciting and nerdy lives, and having a lot of fun. We also do a short monthly episode called Pull from the Deep, that if you donate at a higher tier, you will get exclusive access to. So that's some bonus content for those who want to support us on Patreon. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.